This is Rabbi Neetlea Sarna and Rabbi David Walkenfeld. Shalom and welcome to the Straw Hat. We are the official podcast of Anche Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox community in the beautiful Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. Today's episode is coming out on Arab Pesach. And we are just full of resources for this very strange year that we are having and a very strange Pesach. So that's mostly what we'll be talking about. We'll be talking about some of the resources the Shul has been providing. Um, we will be talking about how this idea that a lot of people are having their like Seder bar mitzvah this year. So we'll be talking about, about that a little bit. Um, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. So, hi, Robin Sarna. Where are you right now? I'm actually at Shoal. We're about to do all the packing for the Cedar to go orders and everything. So it's a crazy day. Very exciting. Very exciting. Okay. Well, it's uh, nice to hear your voice. Um, as we record this podcast, I'm uh, sitting at my table in our apartment. Um, so we're now, it's four weeks since we shut down the shul, but we're shut down the shul building, but we're still uh, for tefillah uh, and for uh, classes, but the sh- building is being used as a, a hub for the distribution of food um, and especially Pesach food. And the shul has switched its operations to a lot of online uh, offerings and uh, phone calls and things of that sort. Uh, Pesach is starting um, just as we're recording this just a few days, as this podcast is, is released just a few hours. Uh, I thought it'd be wise to, and helpful just to go through and just talk about some of the resources the shul is sharing uh, so that people who are in the shul can learn about them. And those who are not in the shul who listen to this podcast can hear a little bit about how our community is recommending that people approach the holiday. Yeah, sounds great. Also, because we've been sending out these like massive emails and I feel like people on the one hand are like so appreciative, like look at all the stuff our shul is offering, but also are just taking in way too much digital content these days between like work and school and whatever, everything is like online on screens and that, and it's too much to take in. So I feel like this is just like a different way to kind of talk through it. That might be helpful to people. Correct. People don't read emails. Uh, I mean, that's a, yes, <laughs> especially, especially now when there's so much going on. So, so let, let's talk about one idea, which is not unique to our community, but which we've uh, tweaked and are endorsing and encouraging. This is uh, the Seder in two parts. Uh, the guidelines were sent out in email uh, on, on uh, Monday, Monday uh, and I know many other congregations have recommended similar ideas. So let's talk a little bit about what that entails and, and, and what, what problems we hope it solves. Great. So what it entails is um, there's been a lot of kind of conversation in the world about, oh, can I have a Seder over Zoom? And we feel like that is not maybe an ideal option for all sorts of reasons, But we love the spirit of that idea, which is using the technologies we have for the for a whole family that are all spread out to have a Pesach experience together. And what this option offers is a way to have a Pesach experience together before um, Yantiv actually starts. And one of the things that um, Rav Rimon, who was one of the original people kind of pushing for this idea, one of the things that he wrote so beautifully about it is that actually in the times of the temple, the the 14th of Nisan was a holiday, meaning that was the day that you brought your Korban Pasach. And in, in the temple, when they would bring the Korban Pasach, I talked about this actually a little bit on Shabbat Zahor. It was very... Um, 
it was like a whole show and they were singing halal over and over again and they used all these like fancy beautiful equipment and then you would like have a barbecue while you're cooking your korban pesach afterwards and it was like this really fun day and for us that day is like really stressful as you kosher the rest of your kitchen and put up your brisket and whatever it is you know like that day of erev pesach can be an incredibly stressful day um but it doesn't necessarily need to be that way and in the temple times it wasn't and so this is a way to reclaim the holiday nature of the day by using some of the daytime of Erev Pesach to celebrate Pesach and do part of the Seder with your family that you cannot be with in person. And I just, you know some of those halachot of Erev Pesach the original you know Chag HaPesach of the Bible um, endures in halachic literature, the Talmud talks about Makam Shinahagu, places where they had the custom centuries after the destruction of the temple not to do work on Erev Pesach, which is like crazy. How can you not do work on Erev Pesach? So much you have to get done on Erev Yantif. But um, there were some places where, uh, I guess, that this notion this is a special day, Chag HaPesach, um, the day of the Paschal sacrifice, uh, you know, endured. It, this division of the state of things that can happen before the holiday formally starts, before candle lighting versus things that have to happen at night. Investigating that difference, you know, is something that I, I know I've looked into years and years ago in the context of people who were spending Pesach with extended family who weren't necessarily going to wait until nightfall to begin the Seder as is appropriate and halakhically ideal. And they wanted to know, like, what can we do all together with our family when we sit down at like a civilized time for the Seder to start at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m., even though it doesn't get dark until 8 p.m. or whatever. Um, and so that, that's when I first started looking into some of these um, halakhot. And, and, and then this year I saw many, many rabbis sharing these details um, in the context of do the first parts, the earlier parts that don't have to happen after nightfall, do them with, you know, with your um, extended family over, over a Zoom call. And then at, at candle lighting, turn off the computers and put them away and light candles and dab in Marv. And then after nightfall, all of the nighttime, you know, you can kiddish and, and uh, the essential uh, telling of the story and all the eating mitzvot of the night uh, should be done, uh, you know, can be done after dark as, as is halakhically uh, called for. Yeah, so we wrote up a little guide. Um, and the things that we felt like needed to be done after dark, we kind of specified. So that does not mean the whole Magid as it's written into the Haggadah, but it does mean, all, as you mentioned, all of the eating parts and the washing parts and the whatever. And um, it does mean certain parts of the Magid. So um, maybe let's say a couple words on just what parts of the Magid we feel like must be recited after nightfall. Uh, sure. So what are the parts of Magid that should be recited after nightfall? <laughs> so there's certain parts of the Magid that are very, very early. Um, and that and, and not just that they're they're taken from early sources, meaning most of the Magid comes from like the Mechilta, like these extremely um early Midrashic sources, but come actually out of like early discussions about what does it mean? What are the requirements of the Seder night in terms of telling the story of the Exodus? And you have these early debates in the Mishnah and, and in like early um, Talmudic rabbis um, debating, okay, so we have this requirement to start out the story in the negative and end the story with praise. So how do we fulfill that? And what ends up happening in the Haggadah is that all of the opinions expressed get uh, pride of place in the Haggadah. And because we don't know, because that ended up happening, we don't know really who won or like everyone won or something like that. Um, and so we would want to preserve at least kind of the bare bones of those approaches to how to fulfill the core storytelling requirements of the night. 
And so I think that's kind of what we were going for. And then, and then obviously um, some other pieces of it, you know, um, in terms of like halal parts of it um, and the halal before the meal, which is, um, you know, like when we, when we sing the order of the cedar, we don't sing like halal before the meal and halal after the meal is like two different parts. <laughs> Um, but they're both they're both important parts of the cedar um, and the hollow before the meal gets rolled into magid really and it's rolled into the second cup and um, that's also a really important a really important part of the cedar because what's happening there it's um some sources refer to it as halal shall shear, like this uh this this halal of song that comes out you know uh, you, you can't you can't tell the story without ending it with with singing God's praise. It's just not a possibility. It's like spontaneous song that is written into the Haggadah, right? At this point. Exactly, so spontaneous. <laughs> spontaneously break into song. Uh, so that, that's key as well. Yeah. So the parts that, you know, that can happen earlier though, you know, again, you can Kiddush, like the actual Kiddush should be after dark, but you can have a Lechayim, uh, some kosher Pesach uh, beverage uh, with your family over Zoom before candle lighting. You can um, have a Karpas, right? Karpas is not a, a mitzvah per se. So you can have a bray priyadama and, and snack on some, you know, whatever, celery and, and salt water with your family over Zoom before nightfall. You can uh, sing all those fun songs at the end, which everyone's always asleep for. Like, actually, I'm actually kind of excited. I think, um, I think both Echad Miodea, who knows one, and Chad Gadia would be really, really, really good for Zoom because one of the hardest things about Zoom is, like, like it's really hard to sing um, collectively over Zoom when we've done these uh, pre-Kabbalat Shabbat or pre-Shabbat Kabbalat Shabbat um, over Zoom uh, sessions with the shul, we've had one person, our Baal Tefillah, leading and then everyone else muted because when you have more than one person singing at, a, at the time on Zoom, it's it, like the, it just, it's cacophonous and not harmonious. Um, but with Echad Miodea, you could like assign each member of your family to have a number and then they could all like sing together, but everyone has their part. So they're singing one at a time. And, and I think it just might work. And it would be a pretty cool thing. To, I don't know. I, I, I think that'd be really fun. Maybe even to record it. I think that'd be a fun thing to have like a extended family over, you know, thousands of miles apart, all singing together. So that can certainly happen before nightfall. It's not a mitzvah. It's a wonderful Passover tradition and it can happen with the whole family together. Yeah. I mean, and also like, there's a certain way in which every family incorporates their own family story into the telling of the Magid. And in some ways that's like the, I don't know, at least for me, like that feels like the hardest part of being away from family, aside from just the experiential pieces of being together for Yantiv. Um, And so I think that that's something that can really happen also. And, and different families do this in different ways. I, I have a good friend who who um, every year as part of their stay there, her uncle would like gather all the kids and kind of sit them down and talk about their family's history and escape from mm. the Holocaust and da, 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 da. And, you know, not every family does that kind of as explicitly. But I do think that there's an integration of the family story into the Passover story that happens and and um that that piece of of things could certainly also happen in a you know in in this like pre-seder zoom seder thing totally and, and really should right I mean even if it's not part of you if you haven't done it until now this would be a great year to you know when the family can't be together physically to have grandparents tell grandchildren about their family history and you know siblings talk to one another in, in that way I think that's uh, this would be Siddhafka the year uh, to do something like that if you haven't done done so before. Um, yeah. Let, let's talk a bit about the Seder companion the Shul sent out, that this was like a really, really sweet idea. It's sort of like, a, I don't know, like our own Shul commentary in the Haggadah, uh, written by, I don't know, like maybe a dozen, two dozen members of the community and some Shul alumni who each wrote very brief comments on uh, various parts of the Seder so that if you're 
um, as you're celebrating Pesach uh, with, without your community and without family, that you can at least uh, feel like the guidance and the, the insights and the comments that your extended shul family would have offered had they been able to be with you in person. And hopefully after right. you have to the idea was that. kind of like, um, who would, you know, like, oh, like you, would you pop up at this point in the theater and like have something to say? Great. So like share it. Exactly. Exactly. So it's not like, a, you know, I mean, there are some, there are many like fascinating things that people wrote, um, but it's also just like, you know, like someone shared a joke, someone shared, um, you know, their family tradition, something like that. And, uh, and, and it's just like fun and interesting and, and brings, brings voices into your sea there that otherwise might feel not as cacophonous as you would want it to feel this year. Exactly. Right. That's a good kind of cacophony and that's a good kind of mixing, right? If everyone has their own traditions and their jokes and their, you know, whatever, every year, you know, Uncle Bob says the same comments about Diana. So, okay, so put it, you'll, read, you'll read it instead and see you won't be there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're including that and in all of the Cedar to go orders are going to get a copy of the Cedar Companion printed in their order. And anyone else who wants it's been emailed out um, and you should definitely like print it and, and you don't need to prepare in advance other than printing it, obviously. Uh, you can just kind of read along. It's all, there's headings and you can just read as you go. Um, I'm very excited about that, that how, how nicely that came together. And I also want to, we also are sending out a feel a home to feel guide, which could be printed or just reviewed in advance. It's sort of like, I don't know, like in Shul, Anyantif, I do a lot of uh, page announcements. Okay. Right. When um, I was an undergrad, we used to joke that when we were interviewing Orthodox rabbis for JLIC, one of the interview questions should be um, without looking at any kind of reference guide, what, do you pray on Shabbat Cholamoid? It's actually like a, a relatively complicated. <laughs> and oh, we always thought like, that'll right. be how we know if someone's worth their salt. Because it's the regular Shabbat Amidah with an addition for Yom Tov, but it's the Pesach addition for Shabbat. Exactly. Ah, oh, very good. Okay, it would have passed. That's good. <laughs> and then that's why you were JLIC. <laughs> they did not ask me that question in the interview, but... Uh... Yeah, that's because they're Princeton students. <laughs> <laughs> something okay for a different time for a different time <laughs> um uh yeah so so that, look it, it it's um you, even though you do it let's you know you do it every year for many years it's still it's been a year since we've had pesach so you forget and uh this this is sort of like as a basic just language pages and what to do and how to say it. you can again i think that sort of help people we, we somebody asked you know for the several people asked for this 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 help and and it's uh, we're honored to provide it and we hope it helps your home tefillah over the holiday but I have to say, when we were putting it together, it was very weird. Like, oh, there's this piute called Kaili that you uh, that you sing, right? Okay, like, can you say it at home? Yes. So weird. Who's yeah, ever thought so about that before? There's been a huge <laughs> debate about saying Hallel um, as part of Mariv, right? There's some synagogues, uh, more Hasidic synagogues in particular, but also some Nisachagra uh, synagogues as well, where they say Hallel in shul at the night of Pesach. That's not the Minhag of our shul. Um, although it's, a, I don't know why, because we do have a lot of these kind of Rav Soloveitchik, Vilnagon, Minhagim, but not that one for whatever reason. And so we didn't include it in uh, in the guide. I mean, we, don't, we never say it at our shul, um, but um, many shuls do. And there's been a big debate that, uh, debate is the right word, but a, you know, a vigorous exchange of Torah ideas about whether or not individuals should say full halal. And Herschel Schechter said they should not, that it's uh, only appropriate for um, tefillah, um, but a number of others have been uh, 
you know, various uh, rabbinic listservs that I'm on have been have been suggesting otherwise. So that's an interesting, I don't know, interesting debate, which again not particularly relevant for for our congregation since it's not our congregation's minhag, so it wasn't part of our uh, our guide. But uh, things that are said in shul, like which of them are just like obligations of the day, and which of them are no, that these come these are dot, like specifically things that are appropriate to say in, in a shul context only, and not not when praying as individuals. Right. So one of those things is actually tefillat tal, which on a normal year, let's say you were home because you, I don't know, had some kind of normal disease or something, or you missed shul because you were with your kids. Um, and um, if you missed tefillat tal in synagogue, you just would miss it. Like you just wouldn't do anything because the community had declared that it's time to stop praying for rain in tefillah. And so you would just follow that communal declaration that had happened in Shul. But the problem is, and no Shul in the United States or in Israel is going to be gathering to say that, to say that tefillah this year. So what happens? Um, which is, uh, I think I, I was very like taken by this question. Um, so Herschel Schaffner wrote that, uh, which is what is um, recommended in our guide, that everyone in their own homes should, even if you don't throughout the summer, say Morid um, Hatal, everyone in your own home should say Morid Hatal, Musaf, on the first day of Pesach. That declaration by every Jew in their own homes would kind of fulfill this communal declarative role that's going to be missing yes yes that that's that that's kind of neat i i uh, the the other um example so first i just i just think another reason even if it's not you know whatever i i say marie Hatal <laughs> always in the summer because then in the fall if you forget to say Moshifa Ruach, you're kind of covered because you sort of already mentioned so if you if you know about yourself that you might forget sometimes if, you, if you've been saying Morit HaTal through the summer and you forget Meshiv Ruach Mitigeshem, you don't have to repeat the Amidah. So it's just sort of like a, it's a good you know, practice net. for people who are sometimes forgetful. So that's just, you know, my... It's also, it's also Minhag Agra, meaning I grew, I, I say it because um, that was like what they yeah, taught yeah. you. So I, I, don't think like, I, I learned to daven in a shul that was, uh, you know, also like it was um, Lincoln Square Synagogue, which was founded by Rabbi Riskin, who was a student for Soloveitchik as, you know, so, so and similar Minhagim, I think, at, at these... Uh, yeah. Uh, at our, our these childhood shuls. So I also like heard it said by the ballet feel as well. But it was also very useful for me uh, when I sometimes I'm forgetful. Um, this idea that everyone saying something individually has like the status as though it were like said publicly. The oh, the other example of that uh, I think is um, like Kiddush HaChodesh. Like we don't have any longer a, we don't have a Sanhedrin anymore that establishes the calendar. We just have a calendar that's set by like, I guess we have like a, f- a fixed calendar. So like the new months are just sort of, were set once and forever by, I guess, I don't know, Hillel II, whoever it was, who fixed our calendar hundreds of years ago. And yet, maybe that, you know, there, there might be some deviation between that calendar and, like, the actual lunation. Like, the you know, like, it's not, you know, no calendar is 100% accurate, and especially an ancient one cannot be 100% accurate, and the moon's orbit isn't necessarily consistent anyway. We are, you know, it's, it's a little bit, it also has some variation, right? Um, so it, it could be that it's just the fact that you know, every synagogue in the world declares when Rosh Chodesh will be, that might actually be akin to the Sanhedrin uh, declaring the, uh, you know, the, the new month. And so that's sort of another example of like all of us agreeing on something, which we don't do all that often, but when we do, yeah. like it has, it has some, some impact. Yeah, it's cool. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit, I've been thinking that this year is like a lot of people's 
Seder Bar Mitzvah. For uh, for lack of a better term, meaning if you've always gone to someone else's seder, so let's say you always go to your parents' seder or you always go to a communal seder um, that's led by someone else, this year you're called upon to lead a seder for the first time. A lot of people are going to be leading a seder for the first time tonight. Um, and there's been so much panic and craziness this year that possibly people haven't given so much thought to how they're going to do that. And I thought we could just like share some basic like ideas. It is a it's a daunting um, task. There are many mitzvot of the night of Pesach, and I kind of like if only there were if only there were a book that sort of laid out you know like how to do all the mitzvot of the night of Pesach and the order which you should do it and how to do it with instructions like. Wouldn't that be like a really great book to have, right? Wow. I think you're the first person to come up with that idea. <laughs> I am not. Okay. That is the Haggadah. So you have a book. It already exists. And it's actually the most, I think, uh, most widely published Jewish book, right, of all of them in terms of the number of variations and, and versions and, and commentaries. But um, any reliable Haggadah from a source that you trust will tell you this is how you can observe the mitzvot of the day. You start at the beginning, you read what it tells you to do, you lift the plate when it tells you to lift the plate, you take the bitter herbs when it tells you to take the bitter herbs. Uh, and, and, and that's that's really, um, you should, you know, like like just trust your, you know, you and the Haggadah, like you have what, what it takes, okay? You know what, 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 what all you need to know in order to have a, a, like a fine, a perfectly adequate and even far better than adequate Seder. Absolutely. Like, and, and it doesn't require a ton of like Hebrew reading in order to get there, I would say. Like the stage instructions... And any Haggadah with English are included on the English side. Um, so just, you know, just read them. Read the, the small print, read the big print, and you're going to be totally a-okay. Um, so here's just like some ideas for icing, even in a small Seder, even in a Seder that you're having by yourself. So you'll have some choices about how you do. There's a lot of reading involved in a Seder and singing. So you have some choices about how to navigate those spaces. So I think we... Is it possible? We, we might have talked about this in the podcast actually last year, but I grew up using a what's called a learning niggin for the entire Haggadah, meaning my family, every word of the Haggadah gets chanted out loud together to uh, you know, a somewhat boring tune. But um, it's never it's never just like spoken. And um, and that means that everyone says every word out loud together, which um, for those of you who were at the communal second uh, Seder last year, maybe you got to experience a little bit. And, and it was easy to lead because six members of my family were there. So we, uh, <laughs> I had backup. Um, and, uh, but, but what it also means, like the reason why you have learning niggins, the, the Haggadah is not the only thing that you could use a learning niggin to, meaning a lot of people when they're learning by themselves, like if they're opening up a Gemara and learning by themselves, they'll use a learning niggin because it helps it stay in your head. It's a great like memorization tool. I know probably most of the Haggadah by heart because this is how I grew up. Um, mm -hmm. And um so that's that's one model would be to like pick a, a tune like a, a boring tune, um and and just do the whole Haggadah out loud. So that I'm happy to also if you want I can send people voice notes of of what I grew up with. Um, it's again like not very exciting, but very helpful. Someone someone shared online a recording that really David Lifshitz made uh, I don't know like in 40 years ago on Cholamoid of his. Haggadah Nasach, which is pretty cool to hear. Um, yeah, no, and there's all different ones. Um, one time I was talking about this with someone and they said they actually took a class at the Bell School of Music, the Cantorial School at YU, 
And half the class was different learning niggins for the Haggadah, which growing up, like I'd never seen another family do what my family did. Um, And apparently it's like really normal or used to be really normal. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Um, Yeah, I think like the more like the trend has been more inclusive and everyone reads, uh, you know, but... uh... Right, more. so that's the other that's the other way to go is if you're even just two people to to switch off reading. Um, and by the way, we should really mention most of the Haggadah can, without any question, be read in English. Um, and so even if you're like, oh, well, I know how to read Hebrew, and the other person maybe is not not as comfortable in Hebrew or whatever, um, or vice versa, like don't you know? So okay, so when it's your turn to read, you read in English, and that's a totally also great way to to run your seder. Absolutely, yeah. We've had larger sedarim, we've and we've gone around the table for Magid. Everyone reads a paragraph, and they can read whatever language they wish, which is not even limited to Hebrew and English. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's also true. Yeah, yeah. There are many languages, and a Kaddish Baruch who speaks all of them. So, though uh... <laughs> so, we learned in Dafiomi recently that the angels don't. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. You don't need them. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I just, yeah, I think some of our hangups about leading a seder, it's about. Um, our image of a certain like a matriarch, a patriarch, you know, some some like family presence from our childhood who um, defines what the seder is for us and their food and their presence at the table and uh, um, you know for for some of us those people aren't alive anymore and for um, for almost all of us those people are not going to be able to be at our tables this year but like if we're with other people we can try to be that presence for the other people in our life for our children or for uh, people we live with and you know to sort of try to embody uh, the spirit of the holiday as best we can uh, and even if we're alone I think we can just try to like what you know what would your bubby want you to think of what would your uh, what would your parents like hope that you took from all of those starting with them that you can um, sort of bring some moments of inspiration as you uh, do the mitzvah of the seder even, even alone Absolutely. And I, and I think the Haggadah honestly models that so beautifully. I mean, the most obvious example is the literal opening the door, welcoming in Elijah. But, but the, the Haggadah is full of stories of this person used to say this thing every year. And that's that's the text of the Haggadah itself. You know, oh, like we read as our telling of the Exodus the way that Benzoma used to talk about the Exodus or, or, or whatever it is. You know, and these people are long gone and yet we're bringing their voices and their Torah into our seders today. And so even people who can't be with us, not because they're they're in, in the world to come, but because they're, you know, they're, they're distant, like we can use the Haggadah itself as a model for how to bring them into our seders yeah 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 so what are you let's end on a on a little bit of positivity sure great um <laughs> what are you what are you excited about for this year for your seder uh, i'm really excited about um be, being able to really like just respond to my children's questions and just um focus on them at the seder like that's uh that's always should be a focus of the seder but i think when you if you host a large meal that that you know sometimes your kids pay the price of that and Thank God our kids really enjoy, I think, usually like, like being having the big uh, crowded and long table at Pesach. But I, I'm also looking forward to at least having the experience of a more intimate um, family meal. Yeah, that's nice. And what about you? Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm very... Um... I'm excited for just like a weird, weird see there. Like there's something funny about 
and when you think about like the seders of of Jewish history, you know, like this 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 tremendous stability of what the seder in my life has looked like. Like, sure, sometimes they're in America, sometimes they're in Israel, occasionally they were in Florida with my grandparents, whatever. But like, basically, they've all been very similar one to the next, um, and to to be part of a moment where. Um, something so historic is going on and crazy is going on in the world that um, it affects our Seder. Like that's almost how, you know, it's serious. Like that's how, you know, you're living through something that's like truly bananas. Um, And uh, there's something to me that's like, Oh, like this is, uh, this is, this is like Jewish tradition has survived this over and over and over again and been Mm -hmm. shaped by experiences exactly like this um, or worse or way worse than this um, many times in the past. And there's something like profoundly Jewish about this like weird Seder we're about to have that it's going to be just me and Ethan for two nights. Um, And, and there's some, I don't, I don't know. It's like weird to like be excited about that, but, and I don't know what excitement is exactly the right word, but I feel very like connected to my ancestors because of this experience that we're about to have. Um, there's something to me that feels very like comforting in that. Well, I hope, hope you enjoy. I saw one, one couple with uh, grown children referring to date night Seder. So I hope you date night enjoy date night Seder. It's been a date night four weeks. You know? Yeah, all right. <laughs> Um, I hope you enjoy. And I hope all of our listeners, I hope you just try to find moments of joy in this very hard time for um, to be celebrating Pesach. It's a hard time for the world. I, I was just thinking, I don't know when in the history of humanity has everyone been united in this way. I think like half of all human beings are living under some order of restraint right now, um, some type of distancing um, by the jurisdictions where they live. It's like We've never had a common enemy uh, that we've had to contend with as as human beings, and that's frightening, but also uh, inspiring if we're able to overcome. I think that can be a model for cooperation and solidarity uh, that I hope will uh, do us well long, long into the future. Yeah, I mean, so to all of our listeners, Chag Kasher Sameach. Chag Kasher Sameach. And we're wishing you a um, just a beautiful Yantiv. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Straw Hat. Thank you, as always, to our producer, Haley Leventhal. We're trying out new technology this week. So thanks to her for even finding it and (laughs) making this whole thing happen. Um, If you liked what you heard, shoot us a note, a voice note, email. We'd love to hear from you. Um, And if you didn't, then you know that part of the sea there where you like dip your pinky into your wine glass for each of the plagues so you can can take that out of your wine glass um, as well this week. Thank you so much for listening. Chag Kasher Have a beautiful Passover.